says, uh, Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. I talked to you about this last time I was here or time before last. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God doesn't mind us rejoicing and having fun and having a ball uh, in the day of prosperity. When things are good, enjoy it and thank God for it. And he said, in the day of prosperity, rejoice. But his very next thing out of his mouth says, but in the day of adversity, consider. There's some things to consider when things go wrong. You know, January a year ago, January 2020, America was riding high. It was the day of prosperity. Man, we were oil independent for the first time in 70 years. Unemployment was virtually unheard of. Among blacks, among Hispanics, among women, among everybody, unemployment was just minuscule. Things were going good. America was doing good. But all of a sudden, February, March came, and COVID came, and the fear came, and uh, it became the day of adversity. And in the day of adversity, God says we need to consider some things. It's all right to, it's all right to party in January because it is the day of prosperity. Have a ball. Rejoice. But all of a sudden, it turned into the day of adversity, and God said, uh, you better consider. This isn't party time now. This, isn't, this, this is time to consider some things. It's a time to get in control. It's a time to slow down. It's time to make sure you know where all the chickens are, where all the where, where everything is, when everything's going. You know, if you're out here on a highway and speed limit's 75, we got we got highways in Texas, speed limits are 85 miles an hour. And you know, man, it's just, hey, hammer down. Enjoy. But you know, if it comes a huge thunderstorm and, and you can't already see out the windshield, you have to slow down. Even though the speed limit is still 85 miles an hour, you can't do 85 miles an hour. You've got to slow down. It's the day of adversity, and you need to consider some things. And you slow down and get in control and make sure you know you can how far you can see and how far you can stop and that you're not putting yourself and other people in danger. So when things come along that's, that, that are adverse, then God says you need to consider some things. And the day of prosperity will come again, you know. If, the, if, the, if God has his way, it will. If the church just becomes a coward and stays home, I mean, no, no telling what's going to happen. Because the church is the only thing holding this world together. Jesus said, you're the salt. You're the light. And see, salt has, uh, salt has two properties. Number one, it's a preservative. That's why God salted the ocean. Otherwise, it'd be a stinking mess. All the death and decay and garbage and junk in the ocean, it would be an absolute mess, but God salted it, and so it, it's, it's a preservative. When I was in the jungles of Panama, we had no, no refrigeration of any kind, and we'd go shoot a monkey or shoot a pig or shoot whatever we're gonna, whatever we're gonna eat. There's no way to refrigerate, there's no refrigeration, so we'd, have to, we'd cut it in strips and we'd salt it. We'd rub salt in it to preserve it so it wouldn't rot and get maggots. Salt's a preservative. It preserves things. That's why you're called the salt of the earth. Jesus said, you're, you're here to preserve this planet. And then it has another second quality. It makes people thirsty. And that's your job, to make people thirsty. Amen. You're a preservative, and you make people thirsty. That's the job. That's your job. Now... God said to us in Haggai chapter 1, 
he said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, This people says, you people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And God wasn't happy about that. The people are saying, It's not time to take care of the house of God. It's not time to build the church. It's not time to take care of the church. And he said, You all run to your seal-beamed houses and let this house lie in waste. Therefore, saith the Lord, consider your ways. God said, you won't get the cart before the horse. You won't get yourself in trouble. You better, you better consider first things first, and you better consider priorities. You don't go take care of your house and let my house lie in waste. It's not going to work. You better consider your ways. He said, therefore, saith the Lord, consider your ways. You've sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but there's nobody warm. And he earns he that earns wages earns wages to put them in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. Go up in the mountain and bring wood and build the house, build the house of God. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. For you looked for much, and it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow up on it. Then he asked the question, why? Why did I blow on it? Why didn't I bless it? Why didn't I bless what you're doing? He says, because of my house that is waste. And you run every man into your own house. So God says, God says, you know, you're, all the scriptures are not working for you. The scripture says you'll plant and you'll reap. But he says, you're, you're sowing and bringing in little. He says, you drink and you're, not, you're, not, you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. He said, when you earn wages, it's like you put it into... into Pockets with hope. I've had people say that to me over the years. But I'm working two jobs, three jobs. It's like I'm putting money in my, you know, it's like I've got holes in my pockets. Well, consider your ways. We need to stop and consider our ways and see if we're lined up with what the word says or not. And then he says, you bring it home and, and you've got money and all of a sudden I blow on it. And it's gone. And you say, what? And he said, why? Why? He says, because taking care of you and not taking care of me. So consider your ways. Well, see, I submit to us that this is the day of adversity, and this is the time we need to be considering our ways, and this is the time we need to be asking the Lord what he wants us to do, and see to it that we're about the master's business. Now, last year, when COVID first started, Renee and I were in Miami doing a meeting in Miami, Florida, and when it first started, when it first hit, and things started shutting down, and, and uh, Churches started shutting down and all these other things started shutting down. And, and we immediately got together and prayed and said, you know, we see the handwriting on the wall. We see where this is going. We see it's going to attack the finances. And so let's double up on our giving. See, there's one thing, there's one thing about God. He tells you how to live on planet Earth. Amen. And not like everybody else does. He tells you, here's... Here's the way to live on planet Earth. I preach a message. I may have preached it here over the years, uh, but I'm always talking about the five basic needs of man because I go all over the world. I talk to rich people, poor people. I talk to people of every ethnic group, every color of skin, every language, uh, every culture, every custom, different religions. And, uh, and, and I find out that people all over the world, all seven and a half billion people, have the same needs. So I call it the five basic needs of man. doesn't matter where you live. You have to have a roof over your head. You have to have that in California. You have to have a roof over your head. You have to have clothes on your back. You have to have food on your table. 
You have to take care of your family. The Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. And you have to have a healthy body. And if any of those five things get messed up, you're in trouble. Amen, Brother Terry, that's right. Well, I know. And if those things get messed up, you're in trouble. So God says you've got to, so God gives us ways in the Bible to see to it that those things don't get messed up. How we can live stable in unstable times. How we can keep our head when everybody around us is losing theirs. When we don't have to live like the, like the next door neighbors. We don't have to operate by the barely elements of this world. We can live supernaturally and operate supernaturally. And so two things God told us very plainly we have got to have. And John, even though he's over 90 years old when he wrote it in 3 John, he, he brought it back to us again. The very last thing he said to us uh, in his ministry on earth, he said, he said, now, beloved, above everything else, above everything else, above everything else, above all else, just if you could just tell you one thing, it'd be you need to prosper and be healthy. Because he understood that you, if you're going to live on planet earth, if you're going to fulfill the Great Commission, you will get the job done for God around the world. It's going to take health and it's going to take money. So God tells us how to have those two things. He tells us how to deal with it. And he tells us how to deal with it supernaturally because he invented the rules. He invented the laws. So as soon as Renee and I saw what was coming down the pike, we said, let's double up on our giving. Let's start giving more. Well, we were already givers, but let's give more. And, uh, you know, every year at Christmas time, we... Uh, we help a lot of orphans around the world at Christmas time. This church has helped us for years and years and years do that at Christmas time. We appreciate your help. And in fact, there's a few brochures out there on the tape table that just shows you what we did. It's not a fundraiser asking you to give. It's telling you what we did with what you gave. And we gave this last year. We had our best year. And in the year of COVID, uh, we didn't know if anybody give or not during Christmas time because of COVID. And yet we had our best year ever. And we were able to give to 22 different nations. We were able to dig five water wells and five... Uh, around around the world to give them clean water to drink. We were able to buy uh, a van for for an orphanage in India and a van for a girl's home in, in the jungles of Burma or Myanmar. And uh, we, we were able to uh, uh, put roofs on three widows' homes around the world, plus blessing over 2,000 uh, orphans uh, with Christmas presents and so on and so forth. And 200 uh, kids here on the Navajo Reservation here in, uh, in America. So we were able to do more than we'd ever done before, but we had doubled up on our giving. In fact, in fact, whenever we said that back that last year when this thing first started, uh, I told Renee, I said, why don't you find a couple of orphanages and we got, we'll dig up some money and give to them. And so she said, well, I remember meeting some guys down in Mexico that had normal, because we always vet these orphanages. We, we don't just give to anybody. We find out if they're, if they're really real and, and really good and really treat the kids right or not. And, uh, and so she said, well, I remember there's one people we met uh, in Mexico that had an orphanage. And so uh, she got their address and sent them $2,000, and uh, they, they contacted back and said that was at the exact budget. We didn't have any money. Our partners had stopped because of COVID, and that met our, met our exact uh, budget. And we were just able to bless people and bless people and bless people. And uh, we, we, we got ahead of this thing because we were considering. Consider. In the day of adversity, consider. In the day of adversity, consider. Amen. Smart Christians will start considering. It will say, you know what, we need to get we need to get in control of this thing. We need to get on we need to get on top of this thing. We need to get this we need to get this done. So we don't want our children and our grandchildren to say, Well, I don't think mom and dad were very good Christians. 
would we serve God? Would we serve God at the penalty of death, at the threat of death? We always said we would. And I've had Christians tell me for years, I tell you what, Brother Terry, if I'd been living in Nazi Germany, I, I'd have stood up and done so, really. Really? You know, the first time I ever had Renee in uh, Romania with me after we'd gotten married, uh, I had a pastor's conference with gypsy pastors and their wives, and I'm paying for it. I'm paying for their food and put them in a hotel. And, and I said to Renee, I said, stand up here by me. I'll introduce you to these guys. And I said, I want you to, I'll tell you little things about them. And so, you know, one guy started walking up to us, and I told Renee, I said, now, now look at this guy's fingernails when he gets here. Because under communism, the secret police took him to the police station, put his hands in the door jam, shut the doors on his, on his fingernails, and said, where are the Bibles? Where's the secret church meeting? Where, where are you meeting? Where, where's the, where, where do you keep the Bibles at? Where, who, are the, who are the church members? These, these guys suffered. Next guy comes up, and I say, this guy, they, they raped his wife in front of his face, and then raped his 16-year-old daughter in front of his face because he's a Christian, because he's a pastor. And they wanted to know where the secret believers meeting was. Another guy comes up and I say, this, guy, this guy's wife was pregnant and they beat her in the belly. They, with their fist, they stood and beat her in the belly in front of him, made him watch uh, until she aborted the baby. See, they, they paid a price for the gospel. Would, would we do that? The other guy came up and I said, see this guy, I said, he looks all nice, he's got his suit and tie on. But I said, if you could take his clothes off uh, from his neck down, his arms down, his legs, uh, he's burned all over his body. Because uh, a secret police, I mean, uh, 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 one of the secret policemen met, uh, found out where the church was meeting. And he went in there and took the kerosene lanterns out, poured the kerosene out, filled them up with gasoline, put them back, and so when he walked in, uh, the next time they were going to have service, he lit the match to light the kerosene lantern. It wasn't kerosene. It was gasoline. blew up all over and burned him all over, all over his body. Well, what would we do for the gospel? So what would we do to go to church? It didn't take some Christians anything at all to stay home for the last year. W would we serve the Lord if it became illegal? Talk about breaking the law. You know, I told the Lord, I had to deal with that. When I first went to the mission bills, I said to the Lord, I said, Father, everything I do is illegal. Me, 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 we start off in Mexico. I said, me being a missionary in Mexico is illegal. My very presence in the nation is illegal. Me living here is illegal. I'm an illegal alien, you know. I'm a wetback. I'm just wet the other direction. Are, are y'all here? I had to wrestle with that. I said, Father, I, I, everything I do is illegal. I started having church in the Hilton Hotel in Guadalajara, and the law specifically states, the Constitution of Mexico specifically states, there will be no religious instruction given in any building other than a state-owned church. So nobody had hotel meetings. I'm the first one ever. No one had hotel meetings. It was illegal. I did it. Had a great church at the Hilton Hotel in Guadalajara. 
Uh, it was illegal to put religious advertising or broadcasting on television. I did it. It was illegal on radio. I did it. It was illegal to put ads in the newspaper. I did it. Everything I did was illegal. So I had to deal with that with, with, with the Lord. I said, Father, the Bible says obey the laws of the land. And I said, I know I should be obeying laws. But I said, you know, if I'm going to all these countries, I'm going to be breaking laws of, of different nations. Just going into the country and signing the paper, coming in uh, with immigration. I mean, you know, if I put on there I'm a preacher, they're not going to let me come. So I put on there that I'm an author or I'm a, 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 a teacher or I'm a, you know, I just make up stuff now. You know, I'd love to just say, I'm a missionary, I'm coming to preach, but that's illegal. You know, prophet, I'm a CEO, you know. Since we have what we call Jackie Mines International Children's Foundation, the, 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 the brochures out there that we, we named after my uh, wife who's in heaven now, uh, and, and we give, that's how we give to orphans and to widows and to uh, humanitarian aid, and if there's earthquakes or tsunamis or disasters or whatever, that's how we, and so now I just, I, I've had cards printed how I'm the CEO of an NGO, you know, that, I, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm the CEO of a charitable organization, a, a nonprofit organization, a humanitarian, humanitarian aid. So, and I had missionary friends that would come uh, into the country uh, there in Mexico, and they would bring uh, things from the states that they could sell. I mean, they, when, I mean, when color televisions came out, they started bringing color TVs to Mexico and selling them. I remember when microwave ovens were first invented, they started bringing microwave ovens to Mexico and sell them. And, uh, and I said to the Lord, I said, I, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm going to have to have some laws I can live by, some rules I can live by. And I said, so by my very being here being illegal, I said, then that's a that's a easy line to cross. If you're illegal anyway, well, why not just do something else illegal? I said, so I'm going to draw a line and say I'm not going to ever do anything illegal unless it's for the gospel's sake. I'm not going to do anything illegal for profit or for personal gain. And so I refuse to sell anything. I refuse to bring anything. They call that contraband, to bring that across the border to sell. Not going to do it. And I even had missionaries. I had a nice office in Guadalajara back in those days. I'd, I'd have missionaries come by my office and say, but Terry, we're going to leave four or five TVs here, you know, because we're, we're going to be selling them. We're going to leave several microwave ovens. I said, no, no, no. You take those right out of here. You're not leaving them here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not participating in that. I'm, I'm not going to break the law for personal gain. I'm a pilot and a really good friend of mine in Mexico that we worked, that we worked together. He was a pilot. He had an airplane. So uh, some guys approached us one day. This back in the 70s. Guys approached us one day and they said, uh, they said, we want to hire you guys. We're going to pay you big money. And they said, we want you to fly gold, uh, which is not legal, not illegal. It's, it's legal to fly gold from one place in Mexico to another. So we want you to fly gold from South Mexico to Northern Mexico and land at the border in, in Mexico on the, on the Mexican side of the border, which is totally, completely legal. They said, then we're gonna smuggle it across into the States, which is totally illegal, but you guys aren't gonna be doing anything illegal. You're gonna, you guys will be doing legal. And so they offered us this big money to do this. And I just said, no, I'm not gonna do it. And, I, and they said, why? It's not illegal. I said, well, it, it is. It, it, it's, it's not illegal, but it's, 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 it's on that chain of being illegal. You know, once we get it there, then what you do with it is illegal. So, so I, I, I'm not going to play. 
And so my friend who had the plane, it, it, he, he really wrestled with it because he, they offered big money. And, and it was his plane. He, he had the final say so. And so he, he, he came to me two or three times and talked. I said, no, sir, I'm not, not going to do it. I said, if you do this, you're young. I'm not going to fly. I'm not going to do it. And uh, one day he came to me and he said, Terry, I just, just can't get this off my mind, man. I just can't. You know, we can, we can take that money they're going to pay us. We can preach the gospel and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, buddy. I said, I'm still not going to do it. I said, I've just got one piece of advice for you. I said, if you're flying along there about 12, 15,000 feet, you got that gold in the back, and an angel comes down and gets in front of you with a big monkey wrench and starts unscrewing the propeller, you'll know this probably wasn't a good idea. Because I said, it may not be illegal, but I said, neither is God going to bless it. And, it, and as far as I'm concerned, it is illegal because we're part of the chain that makes it illegal. And I said, and I told God I wouldn't do anything illegal for personal gain or for profit. Does that, does that make sense to you? Amen. So I had to make some decisions of what I wouldn't wouldn't do, and you're gonna have to make some decisions of what you will and won't do. Isn't that right? You know, back uh, a few years ago, right at the end of Mr. Bush's George W. Bush, right at the end of his term of office, I was contacted by the uh, by the Pentagon, by the head guy, the top guy, top number one guy in the Pentagon, and uh, said. Uh, Dr. Myers, we've, uh, we've checked on you, and we've checked out your military clearance you had when you were in the Army, and your clearances are still good, and, uh, which I had no idea of that. And they said, we, we wondered if you would come to Afghanistan and to Iraq and uh, fly to Turkey on commercial airline, fly to Turkey, Istanbul. And then we'll pick you up in the military transport and we'll bring you into Baghdad. And then you're going to have to suit up and gear up, bulletproof vest and all the gear. And we'll take you by a Black Hawk helicopter and we'll drop you off in different hot zones and fire, uh, you know, combat to minister to the troops. They said, We're, it's not a, not a USO, you're not behind the lines, it's not safe, it's, 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 your, your life's in danger. You're in harm's way. Uh, you're, you're not just putting on a show for the troops back here. You're, you're going, we're going to drop you off in hot spot, hot spot, hot spot, hot spot, and you get through ministry and we'll pick you up, take you to another one, pick you up, take you to another one, pick you up, take you to another one, both in Afghanistan and in, 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 Iraq, in, in Iraq. And I said, I'll do it in a heartbeat. Man, I'll do it every day and twice on Sunday. Absolutely, sure. Now, my wife wasn't very excited about it. My kids weren't very excited about it. But I said, no, absolutely, no, I'll do it. And, uh, but it was right at the end of Mr. Bush's term and they just had the election. And just as they had the election and Mr. Obama won the election, uh, they, this is what they said to me. I don't know anything about it, but this is what they said to me. They called me back and they, as it got closer to, the, to, to January, as it got right there in that, from November to January, that little time between the election and between the new, new administration change, they called me back and they said, they said, Dr. Mize, it's not going to work, so we're going to have to cancel because Mr. Obama is not going to allow that to happen. So Mr. Bush would allow it to happen, and Mr. Obama won't. And uh, they said, we'll still let you come and do like a USO thing and just be in the, uh, be in the green zone and, and, uh, and do like a USO thing and minister the troops if you want to, but we can't take you to combat. I said, no, I don't think I'm interested in, in doing that. But, boy, 
why she was interested in doing the other. And uh, would, would we would we put ourselves at risk? Would, would we would we risk something for the gospel's sake? You know, in Nazi Germany, there's a famous letter. You can Google it and read it yourself. It's a very famous letter. I've been there and read the letter myself. But a pastor who was in one of the concentration camps, uh, he was in Oranienburg. I've been to Oranienburg. And which they call Sachsenhausen, which means the house of the white people. Uh, it's a, a horrible, evil place. I've walked those blood-soaked grounds. I've seen the piles of teeth where they pull teeth to get the gold fillings out. I've, I've, I've seen the piles of children's shoes. I've seen the piles of hair where they where they shave their heads. There are even people today that say that never happened. It did happen. And, uh, and anyway, uh, I, I've been to the crematories. I've been to the ovens. And I've seen all that stuff. I've seen the, I've seen the white tile tables where Mengele, Dr. Mengele and other evil doctors violated the Hippocratic Oath of doing no harm. And where they did horrible medical experiments on people. My mama even had a friend, sweet lady from Holland, Dutch lady, uh, in the Netherlands. And, and she, she, she walked with a horrible limp. And the reason she walked with a horrible limp is because she was in a concentration camp as a kid. And the doctors took her as an experiment. They cut the heel off of one of her feet, just cut the heel off, and sewed it to the inside of her thigh just to see if it grow. And uh, anyway, I've been to those evil places, several of them. Took Grenada to Cal last year, or year before last, I took you to Cal. And uh, I just think people ought to see that stuff. I, I hate them, they make me sick in my stomach when I go. Uh, but I think it's necessary to see. And I know cancel culture wants to cancel everything and say there is no history, there is no, but I, I, that's a that's a bad that's a bad road to go down. We we need history. The Bible tells us don't don't move the ancient landmarks that the fathers have set. I preached a message to you here one time a number of years ago called "Don't Move the Post." Don't move the post. You leave those posts alone because those posts will tell you what happened, and we need to remember what happened. But anyway, my point was there was a pastor that they put in that concentration camp, and he wrote this letter, and he said, you know, when when they came for the Jews, I said nothing because I wasn't a Jew. When they came for the homosexuals, I said nothing because I wasn't homosexual. When they came from the trade unions, I said nothing because I wasn't in the unions. When they came for the, the uh, well, what we call today special needs people, he said the handicapped people, uh, he said then I said nothing because I wasn't handicapped. And he said, and so when they came for me, there was no one left to say anything. So now I am in this horrible place. And that's, that's the danger of us, the church, keeping our mouths shut. What would we do for the gospel's sake? You know, the last three times I've been in Burma illegally, illegally every time. I wish I could go legally. I, I do. I'd love to just walk in, sign the paper, and say, I'm a missionary. I'm coming to preach. 
But there's an Indian tribe there called the Karin tribe, K-A-R-I-N. You can look them up. That God dealt with my heart years and years ago to minister to. And Burma won't let me minister to them, or Myanmar, they call it now, won't let me minister to them. Uh, I can go in legally into Burma or Myanmar and preach to the Burmese or the Myanmar people. But I can't minister to the Korean. It's illegal for me to go and minister to the Korean. So, so I just go into the nation illegally. You know? Uh, I posted a picture on Facebook the other day. We stand beside this sign years ago that says, Forbidden to enter. This is the border between Burma and, and Thailand, and you're forbidden to cross the border. And I said on the caption, I said, Well, I won't tell y'all whether I crossed or not, but, uh, you know, obviously I did. But, uh, you know, nowadays you put stuff on the internet and those, the, the folks around the world can see it and find out what you did that you shouldn't have done. So, so it gets you in trouble. But, uh, so, I would go, I've gone many, many times and just snuck into Burma illegally. You know, I go into Thailand legally and then I go to the border and find a place and sneak across. And I find old logging roads where the, where the thieves have cut roads into the, into the jungle. Uh, so they can steal the teak wood, and so I just take those old logging roads, those little thieves roads, and and uh, you know there's no security, no protection, and, and uh, uh, one day I one day I went back to a village where I had to cross the same river 27 times just to get to the village to minister to the people. Crossed it 27 times. When I got there, I had to eat serpent head soup, so you know it wasn't fun, but we got to minister to folks. Amen. And uh, so. So the last three times I've been there, the Burmese army, which is 100,000 strong, they're all Buddhist, and they hate the Korean, despise them, hate them. And uh, so three separate trips, not the same trip three times, but the three separate different, totally different trips. Uh, when I've been there, uh, the, Bur the, the Buddhist army, 100,000 strong, has sent me death threats and said, you tell Terry Mines if he comes out here, we'll kill him. Because they'd run, put flyers up in different villages around you know, saying Terry Mines is coming and, you know, in the gospel ministry, you know, Jesus Christ will heal the sick, you know, lame, lame walk, blind, see, deaf, hear, bring, you know. And so they send on the back of one of those posters and say, you tell Terry Mines to be connected, we'll kill him. And so the first time I sent a message back, said, you tell him I'm coming in the name of Jesus and Buddha can't kill me. And then I went, and then the next time, same thing. So I sent him a message, tell him I'm coming in the name of Jesus and Buddha can't kill me. Third time, I had my oldest son, my oldest daughter with me, and, uh, they said, you tell Terry Vines when he comes out here, we'll kill him. And I sent him a message. He said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I said, this is the third time. He said, you're going to kill me. You had not done it yet. <laughs> and I said, if you won't kill me, you better get some help. I said, you've only got 100,000. I've got more with me than you, you do with you. And I went and preached. Missionary friends of mine said, Terry, don't, don't go. Don't go. Please don't go. It's dangerous. They're, they're killing. They'll kill you. And I said, I've got to go. I can't, I can't not go. I have to go. You know, they fell on Paul's shoulder and said, Paul, Paul, don't, don't, don't go to Rome. You'll, you'll, you'll be put in jail. Agabus the prophet came out and prophesied by the Holy Ghost and said, uh, took a girdle and tied his hands and said, if you go, you'll be bound just like this. And Paul said, why do you, why do you break my heart? Why do you, why do you fall on my shoulders and weep? I can't, I have to go. I can't help it. I have to go. Woe to me if I don't go. Isn't that right? I have to go. And so that's what I told them. I said, I have to go. And they said, well, if you're not going to use wisdom, that's what Christians always tell you whenever they're, they're scared. You know, if you're not going to use wisdom, 
then leave your son and daughter back here with us on Thailand. And I said, my son and daughter will be safe wherever I'm at. They said, Brother Terry, you understand those, those trails you're going to be walking on, they're land, they have landmines. I said, I understand that. You're going to have your daughter walk on a trail with landmines, your son walk on a trail with landmines? I, I can't help it. I can't help it. I mean, I wish there wasn't any landmines, but I can't help it. They said, you know, they, they, they lob mortar shells in there from time to time. I said, I know. I can't help it. You know, Chinese fighter planes strafe the villages once in a while, uh, those, those Korean villages. I know. I can't help it. Well, at least leave your son back here and your daughter back here with us, where they'll be safe, they'll be safe where I'm at. So what would we do for the gospel? Say, are we willing to, are we willing to buck the system? Break the law. Shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will get scared and stay home. No, no. I will fear no evil. For the Lord's with me. Isn't, isn't that right? You know, sometimes just sitting in America, we forget these things are real, but you know, my, my world the last 53 years is, has been penalty of death, has been going into infectious diseases, has been going in where I'm forbidden to go, has been going breaking the law, has been, has been going where they say they're going to kill me. I tell you, I was asleep one night, I probably shouldn't tell this story, it doesn't make me look very good, but I was asleep one night in a village, way out in the jungle, way out in the in Burma, Miami, in a Korean village. And, uh, and I was laying there asleep on the, in a hut, up on stilts on a hut. A little monkey laying on my chest to sleep. This little monkey liked me, and every night he'd come find me and lay on my chest and sleep. And so I'm laying there asleep, and he's laying there asleep. And all of a sudden, I heard gunfire. And I woke up, and I knew what was happening. Obviously, I knew what was happening. The Buddhist army was attacking the village. Because they'll, they'll attack those Korean villages and, and either kill people or they'll take, they'll take them and make them work uh, on a highway that they're building across, across Burma. How many of y'all ever remember the old, old movie, Bridge on the River Kwai? Remember that, Bridge on the River Kwai? Well, that's a, that's a true story. I mean, Hollywood took license with it, put a bunch of Americans there, and it wasn't really Americans, it was British, British and Dutch and, and uh, Singapore and, and uh, uh, Australia and New Zealand uh, prisoners of war that the Japanese uh, had taken the prisoners of war into Thailand and into Burma and they made them they made them build what they call the Burma Death Railroad and the reason they call it the Burma Death Railroad is because 60,000 prisoners of war died building that railroad it was so dangerous <laughs> and so bad through the jungle and I've actually been to the bridge on the River Kwai or actually the uh, the new bridge you know now but I've actually been there. There's a big plaque there that you know, talks about the bridge on the River Kwai and how 60,000 prisoners of war died, blah, 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 blah. Well, they were building a railroad from uh, Bangkok, Thailand, back in World War II, to uh, Rangoon, Burma. And they called it the Burma Death Railroad. That's the bridge on the River Kwai story. But what they're doing now is they're in bed with communist China because China is building a road from China 
all the way across Burma to the ocean. In fact, if you'll read Revelation, it'll tell you that. It says that great red dragon with the militia of 200 million men, that's exactly what China has today. Right? The red dragon, China. We'll build a road across the land to the water because they're landlocked on that side. They have no access to the water, so China's building this road across Burma to the ocean. And uh, so where in the old days they'd come in and just kill the Karen, now they come in and, and attack the village and take the, the, the people captive and make them work on the highway that they're building. And when they die off, they go, they, uh, go attack another village and capture another village. When they die, they go capture another But anyway, I woke up in a gunfire and uh, realized, and I'd been to numbers of villages where they had been raised by, or, or you know, ruined by the Buddhist army where they'd come in and attack and just torn down there, burned there. They always burned the village. And I've gone into villages when they were still smoldering and smoking and so on and so forth. But, but this one, I happened to be there when they attacked. And uh, the missionary actually had an M16 rifle there because Vietnam's just a few miles down the road, so they had a lot of M16 rifles there, American rifles. And of course, I was in the military, and the M16 was, you know, I know it real well. And I tell you, before I could even think, I was up, had that M16, Grabbed the magazine, slammed it in, you know, cocked it, locked it, <laughs> ready to rock it, and ran outside in the M16. And all of a sudden, I caught myself and said, what are you doing? You're a missionary. You're not here to kill people. You're here to help people. You're not, you're not going to do this. You're not going to play this game. And so I, I went back and just put it in the, put it in the back where, in the, in the hut. And... Uh, and they just went out and started praying and rebuking. And anyway, God rescued them and rescued me. But, uh, but you know, what, what will we do for the gospel's sake? Are, are we going to just be relegated down to the scared church in America that just stays home? Are we going to do all those things we always said we would do? All those confessions we've made about Psalms 91. All the protection and all the blessings and all the all the things we we said we would do all these many many years. Well, I better quit. Don't get anything out of all this. Yeah. Say it again. Fear and faith, Fear and faith. cannot live in the same house. value of a soul. Heaven's after it. Hell's after it. And the church needs to be soul winners. Soul We've got to win souls. We've got to be about the master's business. We've got to, we've got to fulfill God's dream. God wanted a family when he built this place. He still does. And the only way he can get a family is if we church will go win souls. So many churches have gotten away from soul winning. We don't win souls anymore. But that's the very purpose of the church. If the church isn't winning souls, it ought to lock its doors. 
Right, Ichabod, across the door, the glory of the Lord's departing. Amen. See, we've got to be involved in evangelism. We've got to be involved in missions. We've got to be involved in soul winning. Any church that's not involved in missions is, is just out of the will of God, not a lot of the doors. This church is a strong missions church. This church supports us, supports numbers of other missionaries. I heard that my friend Keith Hurst, he was here last week, and uh, he's done a great job for all these decades there in the Philippines. And uh, I know the Romics come from South America, great missionaries there in Bogota, Colombia. I know Patsy Caminetti, who's, I've known her since she's a teenager. <laughs> one of the ones that encouraged her to go to the mission field, and I'm proud of her, her and Tony for doing it. And, uh, you know, you guys are a strong missions church, and I salute you, and I salute Pastor Mike and Beth for, for leading you that direction. But there's so many churches in America that don't win souls today. They're not involved in outreach. They're not involved in evangelism. They're not involved in missions. And uh, the church exists for missions like a fire exists for burning. We have no other purpose. This gospel is not about teaching the taught. It's about reaching the lost. Nothing wrong with teaching the taught. I'm doing that this morning. You know? But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to teach the taught and go out and reach the lost. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. You know, one day I was in Mexico leaning up against the old adobe hut. Downtown, old dusty street, hot. My goodness, it's hot. And uh, I'm just leaning there, just thinking about what I need to be doing. And a couple of citizens were walking down the street there. Uh, and I was watching them. And they were talking, and I was listening as they were talking. And uh, one of them was a pig, one of them was a chicken. Now, all my stories are true, by the way. And uh, and so Mrs. Hen said to Mrs. Pig, she said, you know, I was thinking about the Rodriguez family down here. They're so poor. they got so many kids. Wouldn't it be nice if we could do something to help them? And Mrs. Pig said, well, yeah, Mrs. Hen, that would be a lovely thought. That would be a great idea. She said, what did you have in mind? Mrs. Hen said, well, I was thinking we could get up early in the morning and make breakfast for them. Pig said, well, that's a great idea. What do you what do you think we should have on the menu? Mrs. Hen said, well, I was thinking we'd have uh, ham and eggs. <laughs> Mrs. Pig thought for a moment, and she said, you know, Mrs. Hen said, that's really a great idea, although for you that would only be a love offering. And for me it would be total sacrifice. <laughs> I don't think the church today knows anything about total sacrifice anymore. We used to, but I don't think we know much about sacrificing. Y'all know that's a true story, right? <laughs> Let me tell you one more. You know, in, in Africa, the uh, in several really hot nations there, there there's a, there's a species of ants that that when they build their their houses, they actually build high-rise condos, and they're, they're about this tall. And uh, so in this one particular village where I'd go and preach, uh, 
you'd see these condos here and there and here and there. And uh, one out right by the trail, right, right, right close to the trail coming into the village, uh, the, and there was an old rogue elephant. And this elephant just delighted in coming down that trail. And when he'd get to that ant high rise, a condo for those ants, he'd just take his trunk and slap it and hit it, and then he'd step on it and he'd just move around just standing. I mean, just bring it to the ground. And uh, and he had done this a number of times, and they'd built it back, he'd built, done it again, they'd built it back, he'd done it again. So finally they had a committee meeting. And they said, what are we going to do about rebuilding our condo, and then what are we going to do about this rogue elephant once we get it built? And so they entertained different ideas, and finally they decided, here's what we'll do. Whenever we get it finished, then early the next morning, we'll take a whole army of us, and we'll climb the tree by the trail, go out on the branch, and when he comes down to tear down our house, then we will give a command and jump on him, and all of us at the same time will sting him, uh, and he'll die of, of all the multiple stings. So they voted, and they thought that was a great idea, and that's what they planned to do. So they got the condo built back just the way they wanted it, and so early the next morning they were up, and they were out up the tree and out on the branch, and they waited and waited just at sunrise. Sure enough, here comes that elephant. And when he got right under the branch, Commander gave the command, and they all jumped on the elephant. But just before they could all get their stingers going, the elephant just shook himself. And when he did, answers went everywhere. And so they found themselves on the ground looking up at the elephant, and they're all disappointed, and they're all upset, and they've all failed in their mission, and you know they know they're about to lose their house again. But all of a sudden, they, they caught a glimpse that there was one ant still hanging on right under the elephant's neck. And so they got so excited, they all jumped up on the ground there and they all began to look up and jump up and down and yell encouragement to their comrade and said, choke him, choke him, choke him. And uh, I always have thought that story reminded me of the church and the missionary. You know, the church sees the missionary out there all by himself, and the church gets excited and jumps up and down and yells encouragement and says, evangelize the world, evangelize the world, evangelize the world. But just like the ant can't choke the elephant by himself, neither can the missionary evangelize the world by himself. I've said many times over the years, Jesus alone can save the world, but Jesus can't save the world alone. Amen. Will y'all stand up with me before I tell another mission story? I got a million of them. Praise the Lord. Chip, did you ever go on a mission trip? Did you ever have to eat stuff you didn't want to? Well, never mind. You don't have to answer that. You never ate worms, snakes, dog, cat, rat, monkey. I've eaten all that stuff. Let me tell you how you can tell this last story. Let me tell you how you can always tell what term a missionary is on. So if you were watching Chip eat, or if you're watching somebody else eat, or watching somebody else eat, you, you, can, you can tell what, what term they're on, how seasoned they are. Because the first term missionary, when they give him his soup, and he sees there's a fly in it, 
then he just kind of pushes it away and says, I'm not hungry. Or he lies to him and says, I'm fasting. That's what Americans usually do. They forget there's a scripture in the Bible that said, eat what's set before you. They call themselves word people, but they're not. And uh, the second term missionary gets his suit and sees the fly. And he uh, reaches in and grabs it by the wings and shakes it off so as not to lose any of the suit and puts it to the side. And the third term missionary sees the fly in the suit and uh, he just takes his tortilla or whatever he's eating with and just eats the soup flying all and thanks God for the protein. <laughs> so uh, you can always tell what term, what term you're on. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for a missions church. Thank you for a church that's not just yelling to evangelize the world, they're helping to do it. Thank you for a soul winning church. Thank you for a church that's not scared. Thank you for a church that's not forsaken the assembly of themselves together. Thank you for Pastor Mike and for Pastor Beth that will absolutely lead them and guide them and direct them and be, be the shepherd that uh, you've called them to be. You said, I'll give you pastors after my own heart, and you've certainly done that here. And we thank you for it. Father, thank you for ministering to us today by your spirit. Help us to realize and understand and cause it to be born in our spirit today that fear and faith cannot live in the same house. That we will not operate in fear. We refuse to operate in fear. We refuse to allow fear to be anywhere near us because you've not given us a spirit of fear, but you have given us a spirit of love and power and sound mind. Your word says fear has torment, but that perfect love casts out fear. And God is love, and we've got God, so we cast out fear in Jesus' name. We will not fear. And Father, as this uh, program gets fixed today and gets on the air, I, 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 I pray that you'll minister to those precious ones at home and compel them to join us. Father, I, I, I beg them, implore them, plead with them to get back in church and not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. To bring us together as the body of Christ and to cause us to see that we must obey God rather than men. To see that we're about the master's business. To be the man, the woman of God that you've called us to be and that we refuse to give in to hell's fear. Father, that whole story of David and Goliath was about fear. That whole thing was about fear. David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? I'll take down that guy. And when Goliath cursed David by his demon gods, and yet Saul was scared. He was the king of Israel and should have been the hero of the story. But your word says in verse 11 that King Saul and all the army of Israel were greatly afraid. They were hiding in the foxholes with fear. But David had been sitting out there keeping the sheep and playing his harp and writing praise and worship songs to you, meditating on you. And he killed a lion, he killed a bear that tried to take the sheep. And now he sees this giant, never calls him a giant, never gives him any credit whatsoever. But Goliath cursed him by his demon gods. We can't stop the devil from cursing us and calling us names and 
threatening us and shouting threats and trying to scare us. We can't stop him from doing that. But we can do exactly what David did. Verse 45 says, it says, Then said David. Then said David. There always needs to be a, Then says me. And I'm saying today, Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? We're not going to give in to this fear. We refuse to do that. Then said David, You come to me with a sword and a spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And the battle's the Lord's. And this day he will give you into our hands. And I'm going to take your head off your shoulders and feed your carcass to the fowl of the air and the beast of the field. David overcame that fear when Saul and all the army of Israel were scared. Thank you for David's today. That whole story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is all about fear. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll make it seven times hotter just to scare them. Seven times doesn't mean anything. You're dead at one hot. But it was to scare them. It was for fear. It was fear factor. And Nebuchadnezzar asked him a question. He said, what God is able to deliver you out of my hand? And they said, oh, king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. Our God that we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us out of your hand, oh, king. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. And you delivered those boys from the fire. And changed the king's word. Nebuchadnezzar said, your God has changed the king's word. Thank you for changing the king's word. Thank you for changing the IRS's word. Thank you for changing the governor's word. Thank you for changing the president's word. Thank you for changing the word of the employer. Thank you for changing everybody's word when we stand on yours. And that whole deal with Daniel was nothing but fear. We'll throw you in the lion's den if you pray. Daniel didn't only pray. He stood up and threw the window open, stood in the window and prayed. So he'd get caught. Darius, King Darius, threw him in the lion's den. But he said, Daniel, your God that you serve continually, he'll deliver you. He came back over the next morning and said, Daniel, you okay? Did God save you? He said, don't worry about it, King. These, these cats have made a nice pillow and a nice blanket. We had a good night's sleep. King Darius took him out of there and ordered that the, the bad guys and their wives and their children be thrown in the lion's did. And it said the lions had mastery over them and break their bones to pieces because Daniel wouldn't fear. We refuse to fear. And we refuse to compromise. We refuse to comply. We refuse to sit still and obey man rather than God. We, on the other hand, will obey God rather than man. And we thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, Father, I pray healing for everybody in the house. Put your hand on yourself and your other hand up to heaven. I pray healing for everybody in the house. For those watching later on, on television or by listening by CD, I pray right now the tangible anointing of the Holy Ghost of Acts falls on you, saturates you, permeates you from your head to your feet and heals you to the glory of God. I curse every sickness and disease and treatment.